Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Happy Monday. Yep. Yep. Are you... uh Maybe you're taking some time off work. Maybe next week you're taking time off work since next week is go time for Christmas and everything. But uh, if you happen to be on vacation right now, enjoy it if you're on vacation. If Listen you're going to back us to work. As you go to your vacation. Right. And keep reading your Bible. Exactly. Definitely keep reading your Bible. Yeah, that one's an important one. Yeah. Here's a question for you. Ready? Christmas lights or fireworks? For Christmas? No, just in general. Like, because those are things that. Fireworks for sure. Really? Don't even have to think about oh, it. Oh, pass. Fireworks. Hard pass. You could do so much more with fireworks than you can with Christmas lights. But it's it's fireworks don't do anything for me. I, if I could, if, if there was a legitimate cultural choice between Christmas lights and doing fireworks on Christmas, I'd be all about the fireworks. Far more exciting, interactive. You could take a Roman candle and shoot people with it. No, but Lots Christmas more. lights are just—they're calm, they're peaceful, they're they're more beautiful. They're, yeah, I yeah, ex- like not the not the psycho people that go all out that like put their like Bohemian Rhapsody music to their their Christmas lights and that's the Mannheim kind. Steamroller and all that stuff that's best going on. Kind. I'm not talking about that those types of people. If that's you listening to this, then good job for doing what you're doing. You just probably like fireworks at Christmas time too. I'm just I'm talking about just like the the peaceful, classy looking house. There's there's that nostalgic feeling. Yeah, I've never liked fireworks. I've never like that's because you're you're used to the restrictions that. The various states usually give for fireworks, but I'm not I a good stuff. Here. We blew stuff. We did. We made dry ice bombs all the time growing up, and blew stuff up. And like that's where the fun's at. Yeah, we. I sh- drove down Preston Road and shot Roman candles out of the back of a pickup truck in high school. At who? Uh, cars. Okay. Yeah, it's God's grace that I'm here and without a record. Let me just put it that way. Someone could have shot you. He could have shot me or could have arrested me. Whatever. Yeah, I just it, the fireworks. It's like okay, they, they've never. I've never been a big like explosives kind of a guy. Can I do both? Yeah, you can have I'd both. like the best of both worlds. I want to do fireworks, which apparently, so uh, Diwali was celebrated recently. Okay. And I knew that because in my neighborhood, there's, Festival a, there's a lot of- Festival of lights, right? Uh, something, no, that's Hanukkah. Fest- no. Um, but it is a, it is a celebration color, of light and right? darkness. Yeah, so the celebration of light overcoming darkness. Uh, my neighbor Murali told me about it and says, yeah, or, you know, everyone, they shoot, that's fireworks. That's part of the thing. So if they can do that for Diwali, I think it's only fair that I do that for Christmas- in addition to the lights, do the lights and then do some fireworks. Shoot Roman candles at your neighbor? I might. Okay. With invitations to church. <laughs> I don't know how to do that, but I would I would think about it. Spell out in the in the sky with a firework. Come to Compass Bible Church. Yeah, I might try that. Hey, um, we're in another new book today. And uh, we were just talking before we rolled live that we wish this was two days, but it's not. It's one. And it's four chapters in the book of Jonah. Could have been four days. Could have been four could have been four days, four chapters, one chapter a day. We could have done that. But as it is, just one day, all four chapters. Hey, Jonah, uh, his no author is ever named. We think it's Jonah just because of the autobiographical information. But it's possible that it wasn't. And it's possible that this was written at a later time as well. Uh, we do know when this was taking place, the events that were taking place based on the contextual clues in the book. And that amounts to sometime within the realm of 793 to 753 B.C., um, during the uh, the events that are taking place concurrent with everything else happening in the book. But Jonah is a, a common book. It's a book that uh, we know well. It's a book that you've grown up learning about. It's a book that there's kids' movies and, and shows are made out of this all the time. It's one of the ones that we teach the kids as well in a lot of our, our kids' ministries. Though at Compass Bible Church, we teach the kids a lot of things, not just, not just the felt board classics, but mm-hmm. the uh, 
the, the deep stuff too. And we're grateful for that. But it, it opens up and it has to do with Jonah's call to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was about 500 plus miles away from Israel, from, from Jerusalem there, from where uh, Jonah was. And Jonah decides, you know what, I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to go to Tarsus. Uh, And so Tarsus was in the opposite direction of where Nineveh was. And so Jonah thinks he's running away from the Lord. And and you know the general story. I don't want to walk us through all of the the bits and bobs of the story. Um, But this is just a unique book for a couple of reasons. And, And God's sovereignty is clearly seen in this book. I mean, he raises a storm up. His sovereignty is recognized even by pagan sailors that have Jonah on board the boat. Uh, they recognize, man, this is a, a, a God who has done this. Now, they're they're somewhat religious because they're thinking about their own gods. And so this is not totally without the realm of, of expectation that, yeah, they would attribute this to a God. But they think that this is Jonah's God. God responds by bringing still to the waters after they throw him in and, and they worship God. Now, is that genuine faith and repentance? I don't think so. I think they're going, okay, he's a God over the waters, then we need to add him to our pantheon of gods and, and worship him like we worship these other gods. But nonetheless, they, they, they recognize God's power. We see God's sovereignty in appointing the fish. We see God's sovereignty in the fish spitting Jonah up uh, on the, 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 the land. We see God's sovereignty in Jonah going and the message of, of uh, repentance being responded to by the people. We see God's sovereignty in all of these things. And so it's a major theme, I think, in the book of Jonah is just the sovereignty of God and, and more so the sovereignty of God in spite of our own opposition and resistance because Jonah is doing everything he can to run away from God's plan. And maybe some of you have done the same thing. You've known clearly what God wants you to do and what God's called you to do, and yet you're fleeing in the opposite direction. And somehow God has still brought you back to exactly where he wants you and what he wants you to be doing. Chapter two, though, uh, Jonah is thrown into the water and he is uh, in a pretty desperate plight. I had somebody ask me, Pastor Adam, I'm curious to get your uh, input on this. Somebody asked me, they said, Jesus compares his time in the grave to Jonah's time in the belly of the fish. Is it possible that there's more than just the miracle of a fish swallowing Jonah up and vomiting him up on dry land? But is there, is it possible that this a la uh, Lazarus is a resurrection that takes place that Jonah dies in the water, the fish swallows him up, vomits him up on dry land is resuscitated and goes on to do his, his work. Had you heard that before? I have not. And I would say it's, it's not possible. I mean, I guess in theory, could could God do it? Yes. But I don't think that's the point of chapter two. I would agree. And it seems to me when Jesus quotes it, he's not talking about a resurrection, resuscitation necessarily. He's just saying, look, in the same way that Jonah went into the depths of the ocean, I'm going to go into the depths of Sheol and I'm going to come back just as Jonah came back. I think it's a much more simple analogy than one of resurrection. Fair. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Um, yeah. Chapter two is this great prayer where Jonah is talking about being saved by the fish. Uh, he's recognizing the fish as a source of salvation because he's, as he's talking about his being entangled, the waters closed over him, the deep surrounded me, verse five, the weeds were wrapped about my head. So he's, I mean, seaweed is engulfing him. And then here comes this fish to save him. And he recognizes that that is God, that God has responded to his prayer, that God is, is uh, delivering him. And, and it's interesting, Jonah is saved and has a lot of this gusto. He's like, okay, I'm going to go do it. I vowed my vow. I'm going to fulfill my vow. God commissions him again and says, go, go to Nineveh. Jonah this time says, yeah, I will. By the way, uh, real quick, there's a, a video, a YouTube video on a channel that is called Expedition Bible. And the video is called Evidence Unearthed at Nineveh. Expedition Bible, Evidence Unearthed at Nineveh. It's worth a, a watch. It's not particularly de- detailing with Jonah, but it is de- dealing with uh, the city of Nineveh and the history there. Helpful uh, helpful video in a companion to your your uh, study here with some cool evidence of how the archaeology is confirming the Bible there. So, Expedition Bible, evidence unearthed at Nineveh. 
helpful watch. Uh, yeah, chapter three, he goes and he calls the people to repent. What do we do with the king of Nineveh, Pastor Rod? Did you come across that? King of Nineveh, that, that is in a unique phrase, a unique term. I did not. What did you, you, didn't, what okay. did you uncover? It's, it's just, what's interesting is that the king of Assyria is pretty much never called the king of Nineveh. And so there's, Nineveh was not the capital city and the king of Assyria was called the king of Assyria. He wasn't mm. referred to as the king of Nineveh. So there's some that believe that this is not the Assyrian king in view, but that this instead like is a local a, governor, like a, a governor or official. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, that makes sense. It, it, that's okay. Nothing is, is disrupted in the story. And so if you hear, read that and you're going, well, wait a minute, is that, that's okay. That, that may be likely because it's, it, uh, the king of, of Assyria was never called the king of Nineveh there. What are some other lessons though, that we pull out? What do we do with the whole, he's angry at God? over the, the repentance of the people of Nineveh. How do we handle that? What do we do with that? Pastor Rod, do you want to talk through some of those points? Yeah, I think Jonah's response to God, in particular because of his care for the the Assyrians, is instructive for several for several reasons. Now, number one, Jonah's willing to receive God's grace, but he's not willing for any others to, to accept it. He's not willing for the Ninevites. You'll notice in chapter two, Jonah's very happy um, at, near the end of that to to thank God and say, hey, th- thanks for showing me salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I receive your grace and your mercy. But when it came to how God displayed that grace to the Assyrians, he was, he was angry. He was mad at God for that. Um, okay, so quick check in your own gut here. Sometimes it's easy to look at other people and or look at ourselves and, and to make all these concessions. We do this a lot in our driving, don't we? When we're driving down the road, we have all the reasons in the world why we had to cut that guy off and make that really bad turn or whatever. We're quick to justify it. But if someone does it to us, we're quick to tear them to pieces. <laughs> Maybe I'm exposing more of my heart. I don't know if you guys do this, but I'm very quick to say, what a bad move that was. That was an awful decision. Why would you do that? Um, it's kind of the way that we, we look at other people's sin in, in general. Jonah's able to see their sin as being especially grievous, but his sin was not. The problem, of course, is that Jonah's perspective was distorted. It's not true. Our sin is just as grievous to God, although it's different. It's grievous to God. God hates it. We should hate our sin and see our sin for what it really is and not try to compare it to others and say, well, God, why don't you do that to those people or why don't you treat them in a certain way? One other thing here, Jonah's anger with God. This is this guy is incredibly flawed. He's one of the worst prophets ever. <laughs> I love him for that. He's like woefully broken. And his anger, he's He's like a petulant child. God's like, do you do well to be angry? Yes, I do well to be angry. Thank you very much. <laughs> he's just he's just so, I, I don't know. I love him. <laughs> he's so awful. I just, I can't help but love the guy. Here, here's what I learned about Jonah's attitude, his demeanor. Man, God uses the most broken of us to accomplish his good purposes. Now, chapter three could have been the end of the, the book of Jonah, right? He, he, he took care of the Assyrians. They repented. But chapter three isn't the end. Chapter four is the end because God doesn't just want to save the people of Nineveh. He wants to save the prophet. He goes for the prophet's heart. He goes for him. And I love this about God. God is pursuing even the worst of us, or at least who who we think is one of the worst of us. So I love Jonah for so many reasons, uh, the book of Jonah, that is, because God's mercy is on display both to the people of Nineveh and to the prophet himself. And it's it's interesting because we don't we don't know the whole the rest of the story. We don't know how Jonah responded. We we it just ends. He, t- he talks about the cattle, why, the cows. Why, why? He's like, shouldn't I, which is kind of funny. He's like, shouldn't I take pity on all these people? Oh, and, and the cows that are in there too. Oh, one quick note, since you're bringing that up, yep. C- connect that last verse, uh, Jonah four eleven, with Deuteronomy one thirty nine. This is one, these are the two places I'm going to go. If I'm trying to think about 
if we're trying to theologize about the destination of a of a baby that's born and and dies early or a young child, these are two passages I'm going to look at when I try to say, okay, I think there's good reason in Scripture to say that God will extend mercy to those who have not had the chance or the opportunity to repent and put their trust in Christ. So FYI, Deuteronomy 139, last verse of Jonah 4. And the reason being because of the phrase, do not know the right hand from the left. Right. He shows mercy to those who who are ignorant. And not that there's an ultimate ignorance that anyone can claim because we're all sons of Adam, as you preached uh, not too long ago, last week, I think. But here, week before last when this thing comes out, but here uh, in, in Deuteronomy 139, you have God making a delineation between those who sin with a high hand, those who sin with knowledge, versus those who sin and don't fully understand all that they're doing. It seems like God makes a distinction. Right. And and that's 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 hard, though, because that's not ours to decide, ultimately, right? as far as who, who who's qualified in that. Right, well, that's what I'm saying. God does. Right. I, I never choose, but God says, and so in Deuteronomy 139, he's like, hey, uh, for those 40 and older, like you guys, you made a decision, but right. your kids who you thought would be eaten up, they're going to go in. Right. Those who did not know their left hand from their right. Right, and that's the reason I, I say that is we can't take that concept and apply it to the jungle tribe in the middle of you know, the Amazon that has never heard the gospel and go, oh, well, they didn't know the right hand for the left, so God's going to bring them to heaven. There is still that guilt. But to your point, what you're talking about is, is young children and, and those that aren't, don't have the capacity maybe perhaps to, to understand those things. Yeah. Verses like this do help understand God's heart there. Right. Another interesting thing to think about with the book of Jonah is the question, why is it there for the people of, of God? What, what's the point? Why was this book included in the old Testament canon? And I think one of the things that it does is in a, almost in a sharp not almost in a in a sharp in a biting way it uh, it convicts because here's a pagan nation responding to God's warning of judgment the way that Israel and Judah should have but didn't and so i think this is partially included in the bu- in the book and in the bible as a little bit of a a, a way for God to say hey look even the, the the pagan nations over here, they're they're getting this message that you Israel are not getting and not understanding, and so it's a lesson for us, a warning to us to make sure that we're not going to commit the same error that they did by ignoring God's hand of judgment in our lives. That's right. Well, let's go to Revelation chapter nine. Revelation nine opens with the fifth trumpet. We're talking about the trumpet judgment again. We had the first four in chapter eight. The fifth one comes, and uh, and there's a, a star. And the star is an angel, and the angel opens this bottomless pit, and all of these these locusts come forth, and the locusts have they're like scorpions, and they're allowed to torment people, and there's horses. What what is going on? They've got faces like okay. Here's what's going on. This is John trying to use familiar language, language that's familiar enough to be able to describe what he's seeing in a way that people will understand in measure. Um, this is, are these literal locusts coming out of this pit? No. Uh, what this appears to be is a demonic horde, that this is uh, a fallen angel. Some believe that this is Satan himself that's going to unlock this chasm. Now, what is the chasm? Well, Second Peter 2, 4 and Jude 6 and 7 refer to these angels, these fallen angels, these demons who are being kept in chains in judgment. And a lot of people believe that that's who this is. This, this is the worst of the worst of the demonic hordes. They're being released, and as they're released, they come forth to afflict as though a, a horde of locusts would. And, and locusts devour everything in sight. So these, these demons are going after everything, and they're able to inflict pain. And this pain comes through uh, physical pain, like scorpions would inflict on a person. But this is a this is a terrifying scene of these demonic hordes that come forth after this fifth trumpet blows his his uh, his trumpet, and the 
the the ultimate demon or Satan or one of his generals comes down and, and opens up. And, and speaking of generals, verse 11 says this horde has a, a king and the king's name is Abaddon in Hebrew or in Greek, Apollyon. This is one of the generals of Satan's fallen angels, and he is there to wreak havoc on the people uh, that are there. This is a scary chapter, man. It is a scary chapter. So the only thing that I, I walked away, well, not the only thing, but one of the things I walked away with that I think would be helpful is just, I, I am, I'm shocked, and I shouldn't be. Verse 20 tells us the rest of mankind, those who were not killed, those that you, know, you kept on reading, one third was killed, one third was killed, the rest that were there, they see all these things unfold, and yet they're, they're unmoved. They did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bright. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I look at stuff like this and I think, how, how why? why? Why would you not just bow the knee? I mean, just just do what you should do. And I'm reminded constantly, as I read stuff like this and read scripture as, as a rule, people are notoriously hard-hearted. In fact, scripture says it's impossible for us to be right with God, short of God working the act of regeneration upon our hearts. This particular season of time, God is not saving many people. Uh, Their hard-heartedness has kind of cemented their destinies, as it were. So uh, again, I'm going to point you back to what this should do for you. This should, right now, light a fire under your under you (laughs) and cause you to pray greatly for those who you want to be right with Christ. I I can't think of a better application for this. I I long for this because I want justice to be enacted. I think about all the evil that's happening around us and I want God to judge, but I also want, I want God to save. I don't want him, I don't want him to judge before he saves. There's a lot of people in my life that I care deeply about that. I don't want to go to hell. Uh, I'm praying for them to be saved and I want God to do this. I don't want this for them. And I know that you don't either. So notice here, verse 20, people are going to stand against and stand opposed to God, despite all that he's doing, unless, unless someone like you stands in the gap for them, prays for them, and God willing, shares the gospel with them and brings them into the kingdom. Yeah, definitely. Chapter 9, verse 13, the sixth trumpet blows. Just wanted to point that out. The seventh trumpet, we were talking about this yesterday, actually doesn't show up until chapter 11. Sixth trumpet, there's these four angels that were being bound the fact that they're bound probably implies that these are four more demons. They come forth to inflict more judgment uh, in the form of plagues of fire and sulfur um, and smoke that come out of their mouths. So there's some sort of, of sickness, it appears, that takes out more people, like Pastor Rod said. All in all, terrifying scene, and his application is, is dead on. We want people to, to not be here, and so share the gospel um, and, and trust, uh, trust God to, to open the eyes because he's going to have to do that for them just like he's going to have to do that with anybody during this season. So... Chapter 9 of Revelation, six trumpets. We're going to take a little break uh, from the trumpets for chapter 10 and part of chapter 11 and pick back up with the seventh chapter then in chapter, or seventh trumpet then in chapter 11. But join us tomorrow for chapter 10. Uh, short chapter, tiny little scroll, interesting chapter. Tune in tomorrow as we pick up on Micah, starting a new book, and uh, pick up on Revelation chapter 10 as well. See you then. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.